In this episode of Great Practices, we'll be talking with Larry Mole, founder and chief transformation officer of Rally, a company that helps shift mindsets and behaviors around initiatives that matter. Since your PMO manages initiatives that matter, tune in to find out about the four change ability factors that should be included in your projects, how to transition change management from an individual sport to a team sport, as well as learn a very succinct definition of what a PMO does. Plus, you'll find out what you can do to avoid the valley of despair and stay away from the dreaded spray-and-pray approach of change management. So let's get right into this episode of Great Practices with Larry Mole. It's hard to say when something is a best practice, but it's much easier to know when something is a great practice. And that's what this podcast is all about. Interviews with PMO and project management leaders who, through years of trial and error, have discovered their own great practices and are now sharing their insights with you. Now, sit back and enjoy the conversation as Chris Kopp uncovers another great practice in this episode. Well, we'd like to welcome everyone today to this episode of Great Practices. And here's one thing that PMO is all about. A PMO is all about projects. And projects are all about change. And the only way that you can get change done is through people. So that is just the reality of what projects are all about, is that we need to get people involved and engaged and committed in order to realize the intent of what those projects were about. So our guest today is Larry Mole, who is the founder and chief transformation officer of Rally. And he is going to help us understand what role does change management have when it comes to executing projects and in managing projects as a PMO. So, Larry, we'd love to welcome you to this episode of Great Practices today. Hey, it's great. It's great to be here. Great to be here. Thanks so much. So we'd like to start out with just a little bit about who you are and what you do. You want to tell us a little bit about Rally and uh, kind of get the conversation started. For sure. So, um, you know, Rally, we call ourselves a change experience platform. Sounds pretty fancy, right? So what the heck does that mean? You know, um, at the end of the day, what we do is we help companies accelerate their ability to shift mindsets and behaviors around what we call initiatives that matter. So, for example, if you're a company and you're trying to uh, shape your culture to be more inclusive, so there's behaviors you're trying to get uh, really adopted in your company, or uh, you're trying to build a culture of quality improvement, or some of these things where mindset and behavior shifts are really important. Our platform can take content from really well-known experts in, in, uh, in their field and yep. then put it in our platform so it drives group-based interaction, communication, and learning journeys along with a whole bunch of really cool analytics that helps um, you know that organization shape their culture and deliver the impact that they're trying to impact for the company. Um, so that's kind of what we do in a nutshell. Okay, excellent. Now, now, how long how long have you been? How how long ago did you found Rally? You know, the first as as for any of you out there who have been on the entrepreneurial journey yourself, um, it's been a twisted uh, turning road that started in around 2015 with. Uh, okay. You know, a first uh, thing on a napkin that actually, you know, I started to, to get going. So it was from 2015, and uh, we've been going through, you know, several different iterations, and just really excited about where we are now. 
All right. So clearly this isn't your, your first job, right? No. So what are, uh, what's, what's a little bit more of your background that you've, uh, you've been through over the years? Well, you know, I actually started my career in, uh, in engineering at, uh, this little company in Chicago called Motorola. And I was uh, uh, doing R&D work at that time. Uh, and uh, I had moved into engineering management. And uh, that was at a time when our CEO came back with uh, this idea that there was this thing called Six Sigma that was really important and we needed to pay attention. Yeah. And so I just, you know, this for some reason just caught my interest and I kind of volunteered and became really involved with the folks that helped lead the transformation on Six Sigma and continuous improvement for Motorola. Through that experience, quite frankly, um, you know, Chris, I had started to get frustrated that a lot of the changes that we're trying to make, like we had these great process redesigns and all this cool stuff, but like, was it really getting implemented? And I was starting to get frustrated with that. So I really became a student of organizational learning and eventually um, left engineering and took a role as uh, the, the head of knowledge management for the company, okay. which uh, was uh, that for those of you out there who are old like me, that's a term you've probably heard in your past. Um, but I, I helped run communities of practice for the company, which was very new at the time. And then eventually I became the head of, uh, of learning and development for the, the cell phone division of Motorola. Then I became the chief learning officer for the American Express company and moved here to Atlanta, where I am today, to be the chief learning officer for Children's Healthcare of Atlanta, um, the largest pediatric system in the country. And so just, uh, you know, had a wonderful corporate experience, but uh, wanted to take what I was doing and hopefully impact more folks. Yeah, absolutely. Well, that's good. So it sounds like you've been through uh, a lot of change and a lot of, <laughs> yes. a lot of projects over the years. Yes. So uh, you definitely know what you're talking about when it comes to this change management piece. So one of the questions, Larry, that we ask everybody that comes onto the show is, what's your definition of a PMO? How, how would you define what a PMO is or does? You know, it's it's a great question, and I've had a lot of experiences with PMOs uh, in my in my role as a change leader at these companies. And um, what I, the way I think of it is is I think of a of a group of folks that are governing a very complex set of projects, with the goal being to drive results, you know, against a period of time, obviously, but to do that in a way where, where risk gets managed in a, in a thoughtful way, where redundancies are being eliminated because you're going on and doing many things at the same time. You're kind of leveraging assets, people, and processes and resources, and you're stopping what I tend to call mutual disablement. That's when <laughs> two parts of the organization are actually somehow disabling each other. And actually, you know, Chris, when I was doing a lot of the quality improvement, we had somewhere around 50 to 60 continuous improvement projects going on at the same time, somewhere in the company. And to start to see that many people were solving the same problem uh, over and over again was one of the reasons why I started to work on the whole idea of knowledge management. Um, And we really, we had kind of a PMO for quality improvement in the company, but um, it, it was kind of a beast unto itself at that time. Yeah. <laughs> I love that. That is a really, that's a really precise um, functional definition of a PMO there, right? So you got risk management, redundancy elimination, leveraging assets, and then preventing mutual disablements. Love that. <laughs> where, where, where you're canceling, right? The two, two functions could just absolutely 
You got matter, antimatter, just canceling exactly. each other out is what could you're happen. You're just lucky something didn't explode. You know what I'm saying? But you're yeah, canceling. And sometimes it does. It does, right? But no, that's exactly right. That is uh, that is a really, you know, the the mutual disablement is a, is a problem a lot of companies experience. So a PMO that's set up right can prevent that from happening for sure. Yeah. And I mean, the PMO has the ultimate, think about this for a second. You know, the definition of stress is accountability without control. That's like the definition of stress. So you think about a PMO now trying to drive these things forward and you're trying, you know, this, this ability to influence without the actual authority yeah. is wow. Yeah. <laughs> so let's talk about these initiatives that matter, right? And that's what yeah. you kind of started out the conversation with today. So Hopefully, a PMO is driving initiatives that matter, but these initiatives are going to require change. So why is it that most of us dislike, dare I say, hate change? Why is that such a problem for us? You know, it's a, it's a, obviously, as you know, it's a fairly complex question, but I think about it, let, let's make it simple. And so think about yourself, for example, and, um, you know, um, Chris, do you like to feel competent at what you do? I like to have a clue. Yes. <laughs> Do you like to feel kind of in charge of your environment in some way? Sure. Absolutely. Yeah. Makes you sleep better at night, right? That's right. You know, as, and as adults, this is, this is one of our defining, you know, principles. Uh, in fact, our brains are kind of wired for this and, you know, I think really uh, we do like to feel competent. We do like to feel in charge and we establish these habits and these patterns in our lives that do several things. They make us really efficient. Like I don't have to think about how to drive home from work. I just drive home from work, right? Yeah. It actually would take an effort for me to drive home a different way. Yeah. Um, and our brains designed to keep us safe. So we kind of, any change kind of gets perceived as a threat. And right. so look at change is by definition destabilizing. It's, it creates uncertainty. It can feel risky. And I think most importantly, as I try new things, I have to be a beginner again. Mm, and man, I hate that. I think a lot of people really struggle with that, especially if they have to do it in front of other people. Yeah. So that's, that's really um, pretty profound. We do not like change because change makes us feel insecure is what, yeah, is what happens. We. <laughs> We're, we're losing that, that, that solid footing that we're on and we're going to have to, 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 to try something new. So now let's, let's complicate this even more. So now we've got the PMO yeah. who's responsible for these projects that drive train that drive change. Yeah. And now they may also have that accountability without control. So now what challenges does this bring to a PMO now that we've put all of this together? Yeah. So what's it fascinating about this now is so, you know, you take a project and you have to start to say the big question is when this project is implemented, you have to start to ask yourself the question up front, what will have changed in the company and the people involved that have yeah. been part of this thing or are as a result of this thing? So, you know, I'm not sure we think about that that much. I mean, I know we think about like, here's the steps and the, you know, all the work breakdown and the tasks and the, you know, all these kinds of things. But if you just sit there and say, is anything really shifting in the company? Or are we just executing something we already know how to do, execute it well? That's valid, right? But, but I think as we see the bigger change happening, 
the demands on the PMO and the, and the, uh, the issues for a PMO become even, even more profound. And I think about it this way. I mean, I have seen in the extreme, well, let me put it this way. Even if, if somebody on the project and there's a pretty big, what I'd call change load in the project, if somebody on the project who's leading the project itself or something isn't really steeped in some of these things around change, then a lot of times I've seen it default to the PMO as right. part of their role. And so I have seen great PMOs come to the table with methods and tools and models and actually, you know, not just drive the tracking of milestones and, you know, but actually, you know, proactively create opportunities to talk as part of the plan, what's happening, how do we manage this change, who are our stakeholders, what, you know, what's going to happen and doing that as part of their practice. It's not something extra for them, I guess is what I'm, what I'm saying. Yeah. And, you know, and, and it's interesting you're saying that. We just recently had a guest on, Paul Williams, who is talking about more of a strategic PMO. Because like you just mentioned there earlier, you know, you said it's not about just tracking, you know, the schedules and the resources and, you know, costs and budgets and that type of thing. But it is going to be more about did, it, did this project realize business value that it was intended to do? And that will encompass change because if it's not implemented well, you're not going to get that. You're not get that result. So that is a real challenge then that the PMOs need to deal with these days. You know, and and uh, taking it back again to this uh, Six Sigma experience I had. We, you know, we trained lots of people to become very technically proficient at the math and the analysis related to Six Sigma, but getting people to actually change their process yeah. is a whole other animal. And we found that. That was what these, if you wanted to be, like you said, like a super, a super duper Six Sigma person, you needed to have the change management capabilities and sensibilities as well. Yeah. Uh, and then you could do am amazing things. You really could because you're aware. So there's a whole lot of, you know, methodologies out there when it comes to change, but you've been crafting your own over the years now. You want to tell us a little bit about what is what is your view of change? What is your process for uh, getting change within an organization? Well, you know, I, I've been thinking about this for a while and, and in terms of part of my role in these companies, I've, I've helped write what you would call change methodologies, you know, the steps in which you go through and make change happen and, and to, to tilt it toward more success. I mean, I'm not sure if everybody understands that still 70% of change initiatives fail to achieve their desired expectations. I mean, that's just kind of not a very good batting average, right? No. Yeah. So, so there's, there's work to do here, but the thing that's been troubling me about it is that, you know, change is just messy. And yeah. I think as humans, we want to kind of apply a linear thought process on top of a nonlinear, you know, uh, dynamic. And so what I've been thinking more about is, what are the factors that if we do them well, we can tip the scales more to success? And I've come up with, from my research and work anyway, four things that if we could build, I'm calling them the changeability factors. Like if we can do them, if we have an ability to do these things, the, the theory is, or my hypothesis is that our, our probability of success goes up, right? And so those four things get bucketed into two big areas. So if you think about a project you're working on, there's a phase at which you're initiating the change to happen. And there's two things that come under that. One is your ability to create 
what I'm calling directional commitment with the people involved. Okay. And the second thing is, how can they just see or how can you demonstrate what I'm calling rational progress? In other words, the left side of our brain, so to speak, says, hey, you know, man, we're making progress. I can see it. So those are two things, directional commitment, rational progress. And then a lot of times what happens is change gets initiated, but it falls into what we call the valley of despair and <laughs> it goes away. And so the question is, how do you sustain it? And I think there's two things there. One, we call powering emotional engagement. How do you get people really engaged emotionally with it? And then and then fourth, how do we get the organization aligned around the change? And there's different things you can do there. So four big things that I'm thinking about right now and, and writing writing uh, models around and uh, implementing in our platform. Well, let's dig into these a little bit further then. If, sure. if you don't mind, we'll just kind of break this down. So again, high level, you've, you've, you've broken it down into uh, an initiate change phase and a sustained change, right? right? So those are the two the two big ones. So let's talk about directional commitment. What what does that look like? What's involved well, there? Yeah. So think about think about your role. Maybe think about this as your role as a PMO. And you're you've you've somehow now got to lead the change or you're involved with the change that you're trying to drive. So the things that you would be doing is creating clarity, super, super clarity about what is actually going to change? You know, what are the shifts? Yeah. Are they process shifts? Are they what? What's going to actually happen? And why? Why are they needed? You know, it's amazing that sometimes you'll ask people, "Why are we doing this?" and "What does it mean?" They they really can't tell you. Second, is there a compelling business case? So you would help people see the numbers from the business yeah. standpoint around this. Third you would find out or you would help people see that this is a priority for the company. And how does it become a priority for the individuals? Because if either one of those isn't true, you can agree with the direction, but you're not committed. And then finally, you'd be helping people and testing people to understand what's their attitude toward this change. Is it a positive, neutral, or negative in the way that they just see the change in whatever way that they see it? You know, Chris is like, just trying to understand attitudinally what what are they thinking and feeling about that change. If you get those things to line up, you know people will start to move because they yeah. feel committed to the direction, even if they don't know all the details. Yeah, no, that's good. So I mean, you're you know it is it is the 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 what's in it for me question <laughs> basically that comes out of it, right? So that's that's a good place to start. So then you said rational progress. What does that mean? So this means uh, uh, several things. Number number one is like, am I? Do I have the ability? Am I starting to see that I can do new things, or people around me are doing new things that more align with the future versus the past? And I can see them; they're visible to me. Um, you know, one of my favorite people, obviously, in the change world is is John Cotter, and he talks about you know getting early wins, and I think that's an important part of this. It lets people know that that there's progress being made and. But I think it goes a couple steps further. One, another one is, am I involved in conversations with people that help move us forward, not move us backwards, right? So, okay. you know, is there a lot of that going on? Third, am I consuming information and learning that helps me make progress toward the future, me and my team? And then finally, there's always barriers, right? Is somebody bar bust, you know, barrier busting? Yeah. around me? Do people know what my barriers to progress are? Again, it's not about perfection. It's about progress in the early phases of, of change. 
Yeah. I mean, it's like you could take in as one slow, steady step at a time, but you look back, you know, you look in that rear view mirror and you've made some good progress, right? Yeah. And it may not seem fast necessarily, but it is steady and it is solid. So that's, that's good. All right. So now we move into sustaining change, right? So we've initiated the change. Those are the two pieces there. Emotional engagement. Now, how, how does that help sustain the change? Yeah. So now we're into more of the, like, let's call them the feeling parts of things, right? Where we, you know, an engagement many times comes from, from a feeling versus a thinking um, concept. And so the, the factors I'm looking at there are, do I feel a personal investment? So even, you know, the what's in it for me, are they becoming full for me? Am I understanding my personal uh, investment in this? Do I feel like I can make a contribution to the impact we're trying to achieve? Or am I just a bystander? Because if I'm right. a bystander, you know, I'm not as emotionally engaged, right? Nope. Third, which I think is probably the most important is, do I have a voice in the change about things that matter to me, right? If I don't feel the old idea that if I weigh in, I'm probably going to buy in. And if, but if I don't get a chance to weigh in, you know, I'm probably going to fight you to the death because you just didn't ask me. And then, you know, are there benefits for me and my team? And the last one I think I put in, in this idea of, am I inspired enough to overcome the obstacles that are going to come my way personally? There's yeah. always going to be obstacles, but what gets me over those things? If I'm really emotionally engaged, I find inspiration from places and I get over them. For people that have, you know, lose the, you know, they've lost a lot of weight, they've changed smoke, a lot of habit changing. They have found ways, they've found inspiration to overcome. Yeah, because there's going to be obstacles no matter what, whether it's the technology itself, whether it's your peers that are around you, whatever it may be there's going to be obstacles. So you need to, you need to be able to have a mechanism to overcome that. Absolutely. Now, finally, and I'm going to ask about the order of this one at the end, because I'm curious yeah. about why this one is at the end. It's organizational <laughs> alignment. It seems to me, tell us what that is and why is that at the end and not the beginning? Well, again, think of this less as a process, step one, step two, step three, step four, uh, Okay. as four factors that need to be okay. managed all at the same time. And the higher you, if you could score them, which we can, the higher you score on all four, the more probability of success you're going to have. Right. So, Got think, it. so think of it that way versus the, I'm going to do that. Now in practice, it's pretty hard to get people emotionally engaged if they're not directionally committed. Right. But right. think, but they, cause they don't know the direction I can't engage with something I don't know. But once you've got this change up and running a little bit, these four factors start to all kick in together um, to make things happen. And that's why, you know, think of them as a variable model versus a process model. Does that make got sense? It. Yeah, it makes perfect sense. And I fell victim to that trap itself of just saying this is a linear approach, but it's not. Um, so yeah. so tell, us, tell us what that organizational alignment is about. Like, what uh, what does that mean? So I, I look at that as uh, like, you know, four or five uh, simple, but hard to do things. <laughs> One is I have found that most people change within the context of their team and their manager. In other words, I, I will change personally based on what I think I have permission to do. Yeah. I, there's a smaller group of people, let's call it maybe 10 to 15% that will 
will go and do anything. They don't need permission. They ask for forgiveness, right? But so the degree to which my manager is engaged with me and my team is engaged with me is really important to this alignment thing. Now, there's two factors for that. I call them, uh, and this has been well-written about by others, but challenge and support. So if if my manager and team can challenge me and support me, both of those things, think of those as a high, high challenge, high challenge, high support. I yeah. tend to grow. It may be hard, but I tend to grow and I tend to, you know, do really well. Um, so those are really important. Another one is where's the initiative leadership in all of this? You know, the or, people in the organization that said we needed to do this, are they visible to me? Do I see them talking to me? Can right. I engage with them? Right. Like, or is there seven layers of management to go through before I can ask the change leader a question? Yeah. Do I, you know, those kinds of things are really important. Um, another one I feel is, and we talked about this a little bit with why do people not like to change is this idea. Can I create a safe environment to try new things? So organizational alignment is about creating those safe environments for people because you're aligning, you know, the environment to what you're trying to do. And then finally, you know, our, one of our favorites is process people is are the processes and systems aligned with the behaviors of the future or the behaviors of the past. And that's a big area of, of work for a lot of people, you know, as they, as they make change. So all of this is a big area of work, right? When you, <laughs> when you take, when you take all of this, and this is what, this is the challenge for the PMO, right? Is that now it's like, if you don't have an expert that's, that's looking after this stuff and is taking care of this stuff, it may by default fall on the PMO or it just may not happen. May not happen. And there we end up with these, you know, these failed projects because, you know, they could be great, but just not, they're just not adopted the way that they should have been, uh, but adopted because of lack of change management there. So um, it's very, very interesting as far as the, 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 the PMO needs to be aware of the fact that they need to at least know that this is in the plan somewhere. Right. Right. And one of the things that I'm that I'm doing that maybe because I completely agree and hear you on like this is there's a lot here. Right. And yeah. I mean, human changes is a lot. Right. We're, we're yeah. not that easy. So what I'm trying to do and have created is a little survey um, that even like a PMO could use with their team and be able to identify people's um, opinions about these things and then focus on the factors that would create the biggest lift for them. So. They may find that, you know, everybody's, we're making progress and everything. It's doing well. People know where we're going, but I just can't seem to get engaged with this thing enough. Like when it gets hard, I'm not sure I'm still going to be here. So let them focus in the areas that'll make the biggest difference and not have to, you know, address, like you said, Chris, trying to address this all at one time would is like, yeah, thanks. No, no thanks. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. I mean, it's, it's a, it's a lot. And you call these, um, you call these the change ability factors. Right? That's what I'm so calling if, them. Yeah. If you're aware of these 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 four, um, then it's going to heighten the pos- probability of success for your project. That's that's really yeah. Cool. And and what I've seen for people who are you know change monsters, you know, really have driven a lot of changes. They just get they build this what I'm calling this change muscle. They just get better and better at saying, okay, we need to go in and you know, in my words, create directional commitment. Here's how we're going to do that. And I got it all figured out. And, yeah. you know, it doesn't always work because maybe the change isn't the right change, but they're, you know what I'm saying? But they, they, they've they built this capability 
um, that that helps them drive no matter what the change is. The change, quite frankly, the content of it doesn't matter. Yep. Yep. They're going to they're going to just drive that aspect of that project and make sure that that uh, becomes a success. That's right. Now, you've also come up with a pithy three-word mantra that you that maybe your company lives by, maybe you live by. What what are those what are those three words that uh that you kind of bandy about here? Yeah, and and the really the very short story on this is that when I was really looking at how are things going as a chief learning officer, you know, one of your roles is to drive learning and development in the organization. And again, as more of a continuous improvement guy, I was very frustrated by what I would call the the kind of spray and pray mentality (laughs) of just putting out a lot of content and then hoping people will do something with it. And so I I started to really look at with other people, it wasn't just me, what is it that gets people to move from knowing to doing? What what is that that big gap in the middle? And I came up with this little mantra that, that I called learn, do, inspire. So very simple idea, the idea that I could learn things in short segments and very interactive, but then I need to put those things into practice and have support from a coach or a mentor, or, and then inspire others by sharing stories and encouraging other people uh, to create that environment of sharing. So it, that simple little mantra then became the, let's call it the methodology by which I built my, uh, my first platform to implement Learn to Inspire in companies. Got it. Well, that's that's good, and I, I like that. Um, would you say spray and spray and pray? Spray and pray, man. <laughs> <laughs> and somebody somebody brought to my attention earlier this week that said distribution is not communication. You know, yeah. just because of the fact that you you know you throw the the collateral out there and you say here it is, right? It's not it's not going to affect change unless there's some kind of buy-in and feedback and acceptance and all that kind of thing. Cause that is the spray and pray, right? You just hope that it's going to, you hope it's going to get out there and work. That is, that is. And I, I, I like to call that kind of the, the big bang theory of change where we've spent a lot of energy getting together, all this cool stuff to throw out there into the environment. And then quite frankly, we're so tired that we don't even, you know, I'm just tired. It took me six months to get this thing off the ground. Like, is anybody using this stuff? I have no idea. Yeah. You know, it's just, yeah. You know, so it's just thinking about where to put the the emphasis on the right syllable, so to speak. So what have you found um, that encourages people to, to engage? Uh, you know, it's not something that you can force people to do, right? So what 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 have you found to be the case there? You know, what's really interesting about it is that our brains uh, really love uh, a little bit of a challenge and a little bit of a reward. And, um, you know, I think these gaming people have really figured out some things pretty interesting. And, and we and I use a lot of these things in the work that we do in our platform. So, you know, not to say that gaming things is or gamification is the answer to everything, but very, very simply, the methodology that I'm finding is working really well to engage people is thinking of change as a journey and not an event, thinking of it as Uh, A lot of times we think of the unit of change as an individual, like I'm going to change each individual. Well, it turns out that takes a long time. And quite frankly, it's not as effective. So think of change as a group sport where people are changing together, learning from each other, sharing. And that's, Chris, what gets them engaged is the other people, not the information. It's the other people and the relationships. Um, 
I, I find that, um, that, that getting people to engage with being able to really interact with content that's interesting uh, and uh, providing the ability again to be challenged in the content, but then give them little rewards. So we, for example, in our platform, every activity you do does have a point value. And the more you do, the more points you get. And we, it's amazing in how much engagement that actually does drive. I mean, right. there's, there's always 10% of people who say this thing, I don't like points. I don't like that kind of stuff, but the lion's share of folks really kind of like it. You know, it's fun. It's interesting. It gets people engaged, like you said. Um, and quite frankly, just people seeing progress. Yeah. People like to see their, so making progress super visible. So if we can make progress really visible, people get engaged, they stay engaged, they keep going. And um, those are some of the things. So it's just a you know combination of, of uh, the things that we've talked about so far. And, and I love the, the, it's a group sport, you know, it, it's like um, whenever you talk to people about how do they learn or how do they accept change or who do they go to for, you know, information, it's going to be their peers or colleagues. That's going to be, you know, number one, right. That's going to be the first. And then, you know, maybe they'll go look something up online or whatever, but it's like that group dynamic that really helps, uh, you know, bring that, uh, bring that, that uh, change to the table for people to embrace. Yeah, and I think I think you can't underplay how important the why is in all of this. I mean, when we do change in organizations, uh, we very much need the leadership team or people in the organization to state their why. But yep. what we find, I guess I would say it this way, content distribution, think of that as the start of the conversation and not the end of the conversation. Yeah. So what gets people engaged is that you give them interesting things and then ask them questions. Yeah. So, you know, here's why we think we need to do this diversity, equity, and inclusion initiative. What do you think? Why do you think this was important? Do you not think this is important? So it really, again, people want to have a voice more and more and more and more. They're not willing to just, you know, take my word for it. They want to yeah. engage. The cool thing is for change leaders, that is just manna from heaven when you're getting all this feedback and input from people um, and you can use it to really navigate your process. So you're basically saying, take the monologue and turn it into a dialogue is what you're Absolutely. saying. Absolutely. Number one principle, don't do change to people, do change with people. Yep. That's fantastic. Well, I'll tell you what, Larry, this has been a great conversation uh, today, and we really appreciate your sharing your experience with us. And, and I'm, I'm excited about the changeability factors, you know, the directional commitment, the rational progress, the emotional engagement, the organizational alignment. I think that's something that, you know, any PMO leader really needs to, to take away and make sure that those pieces are embedded in, in, in their plans and their projects. And that it's not just something that's going to be like, oh, it'll just be happen by itself because it's a lot of work there and it's not going to happen by itself. It's something that they need to, to be very deliberate about for sure. Well, you passed the test already. Look at that. <laughs> well, I wrote it. I wrote it down. So oh, okay. you know, that's, right. that's, that's how that worked right there. You're allowed to do that. <laughs> so Larry, what is the best way for people to connect with you and rally and get to know more information about what you've got going on and perhaps what you could do for them? Yeah. So to connect with me personally, the best is my, my email, which is just Larry.mole at getrally.com. That gets to me directly. 
Um, you can always get to me on LinkedIn. Uh, I, I'm trying to have more of a presence on LinkedIn. And in fact, for anybody that's interested there, I've actually been doing a series of videos uh, under, a, under a title I'm calling the Change Leader Lab. I'm trying to like get people to really talk about this stuff. And so nice. I put up a video series that's continuing on there. And it's also on YouTube. And then our website is just uh, getrally.com. You can come and check out what we're doing and all of that information is there as well. But um, yeah, I really, um, you know, the whole goal here is just to, uh, I, I, there's so many people have done so much great work in these areas and I'm just trying to help, you know, bring it together for people to, to put into practice. Yeah. Well, you brought it together for us today. So we do appreciate that. And uh, spell spell rally for us so that everybody knows how to get it's, there. It's actually R-A-L-I. Okay. And it sounds like I'm rallying. <laughs> okay. Got it. Okay. Yeah. Just want to make sure everyone can get to your site if they need to, if they're interested yeah. in getting to there. So. Absolutely. All right, Larry. Well, it's been a pleasure. And uh, thanks for the conversation today. And we'll talk to you soon. Thanks so much, Chris. Great to talk to you. Well, this was another great conversation on great practices, this time with Larry Mole of Rally. Here's some of the great practices I gleaned from today's episode. First, I loved his definition of a PMO. Here's the four things that he says a PMO should be doing. Manage risk, eliminate redundancies, leverage assets, and finally prevent mutual disablement. And how true is that is sometimes we may just find ourselves uh, working against each other in an organization and a PMO can really have that governance and that jurisdiction to prevent that uh, mutual destruction from happening. What about those four change ability factors? Remember, he broke those into two, uh, two main areas, the initiate phase and the sustain phase. Under initiate, and I'm just paraphrasing uh, at a very high level here because certainly he covered more, but there was the directional commitment. Do we know where we're going? Then there was the rational progress. Am I seeing change happening? Do I feel good about what's happening as I'm looking behind and I can see that we're making steps forward? So that was the initiate portion. And then he also talked about the sustain piece. This is where the emotional engagement came in. Do I feel as if I'm part of this change? Are people listening to me? Have they listened to me? Are they listening to me as far as my concerns in whatever change state we're in right now? And then finally, that organizational alignment. Uh, are my peers and manager, am, are they on board with this change? Am I being challenged and supported? Now, that little trough between the initiate and that sustained phase that's what he called that valley of despair. So again, these aren't necessarily a process that you do one, then the next, then the next, then the next. But you just need to be mindful of the fact that when you transition from initiation to sustaining, uh, you want to be very mindful to move away from that valley of despair uh, because that's very hard to get out of. Also, we just talked about exercising that change muscle, something that should become just part of what we do. Learn, do, inspire, and move your team from knowing to doing. So if change management is not a service that your PMO currently offers, uh, and maybe nobody else in your organization is doing it, it's well worth looking into this further. Uh, and Larry Mole would certainly be a great place to start. 
uh, as far as research and applying some of these great practices to your PMO. So again, we appreciate Larry being on today and sharing some of these great practices with us. Uh, he'd love to hear from you by visiting getrally.com or visiting him on LinkedIn. And that's Larry Mole. That's M-O-H-L. Now, do you have a great practice you want to share? We encourage you to jump on to the pmoleader.com, click on content, then great practices, and scroll down to the bottom. You'll see a form there where you can submit your name and your idea, and someone will get back to you shortly. We also ask that you be sure to subscribe to this podcast so you don't miss one episode, and of course, share it with your friends who could benefit from hearing about these great practices. So thanks again for listening to this episode, and keep putting great practices into practice. <laughs>